Tuesday is a big day for the McCoy Ranch. Uh, we hit a milestone and uh, our marriage, we will Tuesday on uh, November 24th be married 20 years. 20 years. Just starting. Just starting. Absolutely right. Um, uh, how long have you guys been married? 67 years. Isn't that amazing? Man. I'm, I'm at 20 years. You should get three times the applause for three times the marriage, man, right? You know, it, when we hear these things, when you say 20 years, you like, ah, oh, there's something humanly in us that says, way to go, right? That there, that we, then we hear something like someone who's married 67 years. And there's something in us that admires that marathon sense of, of things, things that last long, things that go on, things that last, things that endure, things that even through uh, tough times that you're like, man, we, we still we still made it. And we there's something in us that yearns for that. Even things in the entertainment industry, you know, things that run a long time, like, you know, the longest game show host, uh, you know, it's uh, Alex Trebek for Jeopardy, 31 years as a game show host, must be a rough life, but still, it's a pretty, pretty good run. The longest running television show, anybody know what that is? Meet, meet the press, meet the press, 68 years, 68 years, still going, by the way. Um, and so, uh, you, you know, you look at that and think, wow, man, that's pretty cool, right? You, so Star Wars is coming out, Star Wars 7. Is it 7.0? Yes? All right. <laughs> and so uh, this weekend, my wife's birthday was not too long ago, and so I, I bought her the box set of DVDs for 1 through 6 because I don't get it. And so I'm now watching. We watched uh, 1 and 2, which I didn't know for Star Wars fans is not that great. But we're watching, and, and, I, and I said, I'll do it with you, and this will last through the Thanksgiving weekend. We're doing Star Wars Marathon. So, you know, as a good husband, I'm... <laughs> and so I, as long as the, 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 the disclaimer was, as long as I can stop it, you know, every time I have a question, like, I know, who's that guy? All right, now what does she do? How come he's got long ears? Uh, now, how come they're lying on the I, I just, I know I'm bugging her to death, but I'm asking. At any rate, when Star Wars first came out, now a movie that comes out, you know, Star Wars will come out in December. It might run, what, in theater? Eight weeks, ten weeks, twelve weeks, I don't know. When it first came out, Star Wars ran in the theater for 44 weeks. You see, back in the 70s, we didn't have anything to do. We just keep seeing the same movie over and over and over. E.T., one year in the theaters. So we look at that and we think, oh, man, I, I dig that. Sports, you know, when people do things of endurance and they go on and on and on and on, like runners, like uh, people that can run a marathon, 26.2 miles, is that what it is? I used to live in Boston, man, I was I was solid, I was going to run the Boston Marathon, and I began to train, I've run uh, almost every day from something, uh, but I've run every day uh, for, for a long, long time, and I was going to train to get, and man, I got myself up to about 8 miles, 10 miles, and suddenly I had an appreciation for those that could go the whole deal, I couldn't make it, 26 miles, I, so it got me to, to thinking, I wonder what the longest uh, some long distances people have run. Check this out. I brought it for you. It's up on the screen. Watch. Kim Allen, mother of four, has beaten the world record for continuous running after she went without sleep for three days, traveling an incredible 310 miles. You know why? Because she's a mother of four. 
She's running from them. I mean, she's trying to get away, man. <laughs> they had a bad day. She just kept running and running and running. It's like Forrest Gump or something. 310 miles. It's impressive to us, is it not? Here's the challenge. We all admire the marathon, these long-running things. We all admire. We, we admire long-running marriages. But when you go to actually do it, when you actually go to train for the Boston Marathon, oh, boy, it's a different story. We begin to feel the pain. Ask anybody who's been married for, for quite a long time. They'll say, oh, it, it's not easy. Man, there's something you've got to dig in. There's a, there's a spirit and the challenge, I believe, in this generation, see, the generation before mine, the GI generation, understood more what it meant to be sturdy, to be robust, to run a marathon. As The, the lower we get in our generations, boomers, millennials, and, and, and down, the more challenging it is for us to have that marathon mindset. See, when I grew up, you know, we would sit on the t- and watch TV. We had three channels on a black and white TV. But the thing that we didn't have was a remote control. So here's the way it worked. Everybody's comfy on the couch, right? We're seeing a, we're seeing a show come on. We don't even like the show, but who's going to get up and change the channel? Well, I'm not. She's not. He's not. We're not. So let's watch it and shows watch. We're a lot slower that you, you watch Mayberry RFD and Gomer Pyle and all those things. Gilligan's Island, probably younger generations. Like, oh man, I can't stand those shows. I watched heat in, in the heat of the night. You know that old show? It's, uh, you know, my wife, she's like, I can't stand it. Cut it off because the, you know, the plot is just plotting along and all that. Well, the reason is they didn't have to keep our attention because they knew we were going to get off the couch to change the channel. But now producers understand that we have a dangerous weapon in our hands. It's called the remote control. And we can zip, zip, zip. Nope, nope. Nope, nope, nope. I pay the basic cable fee. I've got 400 and some channels. I got a lot of choices. I used to have three. So now we live in a culture that is always beckoning for us because they know we'll change it. And we've learned to be sprint-like rather than marathon. We've learned to cut things off. We've learned to change channels. We've learned to change gears, change lanes, all those things quite quickly. It's the same in music. Back in my days in high school, you know, we were we would lounge around, listen to music. I'll leave it at that. And as we were lounging, we were we were listening to LPs. Those are big records. You've seen them this this big, right? And and uh, man, you come up on the third song. Everybody hates the third song. But, you know, we're like, oh, dude, like, I hate this third song. Man, I can't stand this third song. I don't even know why they put it on the record, man. You know, you're having all that kind of talk. Hey, maybe we should change it. Nobody's talking about changing it. Because, see, I'm lounged. I'm not going to get up because you're, nobody's going to pick up the needle and move it to the fourth song. Because you can't even find the fourth song. And then you ruin your records, right? It's like, scratch, and you can't find it. So you listen to the third song. Most of you know the first six years that I we started 360, I was a substitute teacher. And I learned a lot about how to listen to music in this generation. 
See, I would let the kids listen to their iPods. It was they love me. It was against the rules, but I I found that quite quickly that people are listening to their iPod. They're they're behaving because they're not talking. They're kind of in their own worlds and like an art class and they're painting and they're doing all this and they're being creative. I'm like, hey, why not? I don't even get the rule. So I broke the rule and and sometimes they would listen to it and you could hear it coming out of their phone. And I would listen. I'm like, dude, you guys listen to music a lot differently than I did back in the day. We'd listen to a whole album. And then by that time, we were probably, you know, like this on the couch. And I was like, you know, like the old LPs. The way people listen to music nowadays, they got this device in their hand. And they're like, mm, okay, I'm moving. And I'm like, oh, there comes a cool song. And I'd be in the class, you know, working. And here comes a cool song by John Mayer. And it was out for three seconds. They're on to the next song. In fact, so I thought, well, now I'm going to learn from this generation. I'm going to learn how to listen to music. So I took my own music, my own playlist, just to let you in. I'm going to let you in on my playlist. And I, I was like, this is how I've learned from the younger generation how to listen to music. I, here, here it is. Here's how Steve listens to music nowadays. Oh, yeah. And that's about it right there. Dude, I can listen to eight songs in 20 seconds. Isn't that how you guys do it? Of course, the challenge of all this is that culture, whether we like it or not, affects the the church. We would wish it would be the other way, and it should be the other way, but you have to face reality. When it comes to the relationships that God calls us to be in a spiritual community, they're never sprint. The intention is never to be a sprint, ever. The intention is to be marathon in our relationships. That means when it, when the knee starts hurting and the ankle starts hurting and you're in the middle of the marathon and your hip is screaming, you still keep running. You see, the scripture teaches us that we are to run in such a way that we don't give up on each other so quickly. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter of love. I love the chapter because it just doesn't say in this conceptual language, just love one another and be nice and kind. It breaks it down to marathon instruction. Watch 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Love bears, can you say it with me? All things. It believes what? All things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Not some things, but all things. See, love endures my nastiness and my rudeness and my selfishness. It, en- it endures it. That means it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, uh, say that it's okay. It doesn't approve it, but it endures it. In your marriages, it endures those days when someone, the other person didn't get enough sleep. It endures those days when they they surprise you by a bad attitude. Now, I don't know about you. I never, ever schedule arguments. Do you? I never take my phone and say, hey, you know what? Uh, let's see. Tuesday's our anniversary. Okay. Let's give it a couple days. Thanksgiving's Thursday, 26. Let's schedule an argument for 1030. That'd be awesome, won't it? I mean, we'll be getting ready. We'll fix the turkey. And about right in the middle of it, let's get in a big fight. Who, who does that? It always comes unexpectedly. 
And then what happens is our emotions kick in and our self kicks in. We're like, wait a minute. And, and, and we get indignant and we get offended and we get all those things. And then these words only become inspiration and not actualization. When something happens in a church, ah, oh, I can't believe so and so said this, or I can't believe they got more power, or they're rude, or they're, you know, this and that and the other, that I have to say to you right off the bat, it is the heartbreak of pastors. Not that there's tension, not there's tension, that happens. I, I spend time with pastors, I have lunch with pastors, we meet. It's the heartbreak of pastors because it doesn't take many ounces. It doesn't take many ounces in a sprint-like remote control culture for people to say, I'm out. I'm out. It doesn't take much in a marriage these days. We need to learn from the marathon generation, the GI generation. It doesn't take a lot for people like, man, I've had it. Because it's so popular, we're swimming in the culture, whether we like it or not. And when it comes to enduring all things and bearing all things and hoping all things, believing all things, I believe in you. Man, it's, it's, it's weak. And when we think of ourselves, we think, ah, oh, man, what is it about us? Well, here's the cool thing about Jesus. There's a lot of cool things about Jesus. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. He gets us. Now, I know that sounds cliche-ish. But see, I'm not sure that I could follow a God that's just some distant deity. You see, the core of Christianity is that God came and he made himself one of us. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that he was tempted in every single way. He was tempted to give up. He was tempted to, to give in. In fact, watch this in Mark chapter 9 verse 19. Jesus says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? And yet he did. He said, I am with you to the end of the ages. God has, has bared with us for generation after generation after generation. But listen, Christ was tempted to run off the track. Christ was tempted like, ah, how long can I bear with you? This conversation is so important. Let me tell you why I think it is. You see, when I said, here's a game show host, 31 years. Wow. 20 years marriage. Wow. 67 years marriage. Wow. A movie running. Wow. There's a wow factor in the marathon, right? You see, the world looks on us. And sometimes we make ourselves with the world an adversary too quickly. In other words, they're against us all the time. You see, I would propose to you that in an unsettling culture, in an unsettling world, a world that is raveling apart economically with terrorism, with, with politics, all those things that the world is hoping that there is one stable entity in this world. That the more we run the marathon, the more we push through, the more we hold the line, the more we endure and hope and believe that the world would say, wow, you've got something I want. That's how critical it is. They're looking, listen, they're looking for us to be different than them. They are, whether, whether they may say it or not. They're looking for marathon runners and not for us to be sprint-like, just like the world. Otherwise, what are we doing? Why are we here? 
What's the purpose of all the, all these things? So today, what we're going to do is look at the components of a marathon. And I think they're simple. There are only three 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 components here that I'm going to highlight. There might be more, but three major components. And if you'll forgive me, I'm going to use words that all start with R. I don't do that very often. It may sound a little cliche with you, but here's the reason why. I'm hoping that we can remember this. And I'm hoping we can remember it because the tensions that we face, as I said, are unexpected. And if you're not prepared for them in advance, then you can say, oh, remember that. Or I, 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 I can just call on that really quick. Then I think all is lost. If a soldier is not prepared for battle beforehand, then all is lost. If a football player is not prepared before he goes on the field, then all is lost. You would understand. So we're going to do three Three parts of this. Very easy. There's before the marathon, there's during the marathon, and there's after the marathon. That's the three basic components. You see, before the marathon, we'll, we'll begin with this word, requirement. There's a requirement for a marathon. In other words, no one can just say, you know what, I think I'll run a marathon. No, there's more requirement. You're required to prepare in such a way that you can be ready for the be ready for the thing. You just can't be living life normal and then all of a sudden run a marathon. It's the same for us. If we're going to expect that we can run the marathon and have, in other words have marathon like relationships and not prepare our mind, we're kidding ourselves. We must. So I we as you look in the scripture you could find many marathon runners in this in this field manual. Many. So we could pick some of the A-level a, a names, the, the Davids and the, and the Moseses and the Daniels. We could pick some of the, the more the, the lesser-known people, maybe the Jonas or the Jeremiahs, that, that level. I decided this morning to look at someone you don't hear a lot about. His name is Eleazar. Now, Eleazar was a marathon runner, and I believe we can run, learn a few things about this race. Now, you may be sitting here today and like, I got this. I would propose to you that life is more challenging because it's unexpected levels than you may think. I'm often shocked, often shocked by people that appear to be solid, that we've sat in the locker room on Sunday mornings and drawn out a lot of X's and O's. And here's how we'll do the play, and here's how we'll do the play. But when the ball is hiked, it's like, man, what happened? Man, you left over that. You got upset over that. Like, well, what happened to the endurance and all the things, the endure all things, believe all things, and all that stuff, right? So it's important for us to remind ourselves at least, like, okay, here's a requirement. Let me give you a little backdrop about Eleazar. You might remember that David started small. David was called to be king, and he had God put around him not a not an army of thousands, but just four hundred. And these four hundred guys, man, they were not the A team. They were not even the B team. I'm not even sure what letter, but I don't know that they were even the first ten letters. You can read about his four hundred men. They came. They were all in debt. Great. That's that's going to be great. They bring assets. Nope, they're in debt. They were discouraged. They were disgruntled. They were, they were, they were a team that were like, man, thank you, God, for sending me these guys. I'm feeling really good about it. 
It's funny how God picks people like that, right? Like the like the disciples, just average Joes, fishermen, carpenters, all tax collectors, all those those things. And God picked these four hundred men. You see, it wasn't easy to be on this team because you were the underdog. David went through a lot of hardship. David lived in caves. He ran from people. He was attacked. There are a lot of hardship when you read. And these guys, at any time, would have, if it were today's culture, like, dude, this is not it. This is not the right team. See, this is not the jazz team. This team doesn't have the it factor. This is, man, this is, this team's a loser, man. We're still on the run. I'm tired of, I'm tired of sleeping in, in, in caves that are dripping water and they're moldy. And man, this, I, I'm just trying to get some bread, man. We're hungry. We're out in the fields and we're picking wheat just to eat. Anybody, if that were a church, it would not succeed. No one would look at the church of David and say, wow, boy, that thing is just lifting off the ground. And yet these guys, they stuck in with him. And over time, this army of 400 grew to thousands. But there were marathon runners in the midst of them, and they're called the 30. You can read it in Scripture. There were 30 men that David knew come heck or high water. Think about that. (laughs) That these guys were going to run with him and not away from him. Think about that. Thousands, and yet these were the Navy SEALs. Of these 30 Navy SEALs, there were three. They were called the Mighty Three. And these Mighty Three, man, they were cream of the crop, top drawer, AAA people. I mean, they were, they were the guys that I want to look at and say, man, they were marathon runners. What could we learn from them? One of the three, his name was Eleazar. We only have a couple of game highlights with these guys. Not long stories like Moses or, or David. When you look at the scripture at the end of David's life and the end of the records, you just get a little bit of a, like at the end of Sunday uh, night, you know, when they're doing the NFL highlights. You just get a few highlights. And the first time we see these guys, we learn something from Eleazar and these three guys. If you know the Bible, you might recognize the story when we first see him. We're going to learn the requirement to prepare ourselves how to to be marathon with one another. Here's the story. David was fighting for Jerusalem. He was trying to capture Jerusalem. He was with his armies. The battle was tough. And right in the heat of the battle, David must have been parched. He must have been tired. He must have been fatigued. He was homesick because Jerusalem is also known as the city of David. Because that was going to be, that was his home turf and, and he, they, the Israelites had lost it and he was trying to regain it. In the height of that, David said, ah, oh, to have some of that sweet water from Jerusalem. And these guys overheard. These three guys overheard. And, and one of them, it, has, it always starts with one. One of them said, hey, you know what? Let's go into enemy territory. We'll do it at night. We'll go in. And we'll get some of that water for David. We'll bring it back. They didn't do it for a raise. They didn't do it for self-glory. They didn't do it for a trophy. They did it because they were marathon runners. And they loved the team. They loved their leader. They loved. The, they had loyalty to the purpose and to the cause. And I'm like, man, if he, he's asking for us, let's go. So the requirement for them. I'm going to use this chair right in the middle as a... As a as a dividing line. What happened was that they crossed into enemy territory. Watch. First Chronicles 
chapter 11, verse 18. So the three broke through the Philistine line. So this is the home court over here. That's the enemy territory over here. This is the line. This is the Philistine line. They broke through it. The Philistine lines. They drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. Here's the picture that I want to show to you. Had they come up to the line, to the enemy line, and not crossed over, they could have run easily, more easily. Once they crossed over into ter- enemy territory, now it's hard to get out. See, over here, it's easy to get out. You see, there's a line here that all of us face. And it's not a line against the Philistines. It's much more fierce. Here's the line. It's the line of self. It's the line of self. In other words, we have to prepare our minds. I'll take it to my marriage. I have to prepare my mind that the next conflict I have with my wife, Carrie, that I'm preparing myself to say, if we cross a line, she's not the enemy. My selfishness is going to be the enemy. I promise you. That if I'm willing ahead of time to say, I'm going to cross over into this territory and I'm going to cross through the line of self, I will be less likely to run from the conflict. But if I go in and say, you know what? I don't know. I'm not crossing over there. I'm not crossing over the line of self. Forget it. I'm out. I'm not going to talk about this. This is what men do, by the way. I'm great. I'm a master at this. How about you guys? Everybody? Yeah. That's fine. I'm just not going to talk about it. See, I'll be over here on my side. See, I'm safe because I haven't been willing to cross the line of self. That's humility. As soon as these boys crossed over the Philistine lines, they also crossed through the line of self. They became selfless. This is the humility of the marathon. We get another snapshot while we're talking about how to prepare your mind. There's a battle that we're told about that the Israelites, all of them, were in the midst of fighting. And we're told about Eleazar specifically. It's the only two places we find out about him. And we see something in Eleazar that I believe is important to prepare your minds. Watch this. We're told in First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 12. Next to him was a man named Eleazar, one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Postamine when the Philistines gathered there for battle. At a place there was a field, at a place where there was a field full of bar, barley, the troops fled from the Philistines, but these three guys, they took their stand, watch where they took their stand, in the most vulnerable Speaking from militaristic terms, the most stupidest place that you could fight from. No soldier will ever fight from the middle of the field. It is the worst place. You need to hide behind something. Even I know that. A big rock, a fortress, a cliff, a flower, a tree, something. But what they were willing to do is to fight in the middle of the field. You know why? Because there's nowhere to run like the other guys did in the middle. So here's the deal. The requirement to run before you, before you start is this. 
The requirement is to brace yourself and ask God to empower you, to ironclad you, whether it's a disagreement in the church, a disagreement in your your small group, a disagreement in discipleship, a disagreement at work, a disagreement at home, that before you get that to that unexpected place, that you say to yourself, I'm going to cross the line of selflessness and I'm not going to run. I'm going to, I'm going to brace myself for that. I run almost every day. I'm on the treadmill and there are times, believe me, I run a couple of miles every day. There are times, many times where I'm running and I'm like somewhere about one mile, man, I've had it. And it doesn't help that our gym has a snack bar. In the gym. What's up with that? And I'm running, and then you can smell whatever they're baking over there, and like, nah. and then it's like, oh, you know, start complaining yourself, and then you can, and then it's self-talk, and blah, 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 I'll get a bagel. It always ends with I'll get a bagel. <laughs> but see, I've prepared myself before, and I put 2.0 in my mind. On the treadmill. I'm not going to stop until I hit 2.0. I don't care if I smell bagels. I don't care if I get tired. If I throw up, okay, I'll quit. But <laughs> I have my love. You know what I'm saying? Why? I've said it beforehand. Church of God, listen. Said it beforehand because we live in a culture that says marriage, click out. You say, I don't have a remote, and I'm not getting off the couch of my marriage. I'm not getting off the couch of my church. I'm not going to be a statistic, just another person moving to another place. I'm going to be a marathon runner, because as you will see, there is great reward. Just like we say, oh wow, 31 years of marriage, 68 years of marriage, wow, that's amazing. The world looks on and say, even Though they have this because they're human, man, they're enduring all things. Impressive. I promise you. Impressive. Now, see, that's before the race. Here's the, here's the thing. Here's the R word in the race. Resilience. Resilience. There is a requirement to run a marathon before you start. Gotta have it. Gotta prep. And there's a, there's this resilience that's needed while you're running. The marathon. You see, there's not a lot of resilience needed in a sprint. There's not. There's resilience that's required in the marathon. Now watch this. Picture it. These guys are in the fight of their life. They're against the mightiest army on the face of the planet. Feeling pretty good because they got a lot of people out there. And then everybody but three runs. Just imagine that. Watch. Second Samuel chapter twenty three, verse nine. It's another angle. We get two angles in these books Samuel and, and Chronicles and Kings. It's another angle. Next to him was Eleazar. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered at Postamine for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. 
but he stood his ground. And when you look at the full details, it was three of them that stood their ground. That means everybody else, including the other 30, the 27 others, that they, they ran, but he stood his ground. You see, when I look at the story instantly, I'm like, you know what? The same thing happened to Moses. Remember? People were like turning on him like, oh, I'm out of here. And like, oh boy. And then even his brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron turned on him. Wanted them out, wanted to oust him. And I think of, of, of people like Joshua. People wanted to oust him. You think of even Jesus in John chapter 6 where many left him and his disciples were standing there. His mighty men were standing there and Christ turned and said, hey, I got to tell you something, guys. I'm going to go on for the mission. You guys want to take off too? And they said, nope, not going to do it. You got the words of eternal life. We're sticking in mighty men of marathon. You see, and I look at these guys. I'm like, man, sometimes, you know how we, you know how we function as human beings? Like we're like a herd. Are we not? In other words, there are times that I do something just because everybody else is doing it. Have you ever been to that? In that scenario, I, I give you one. Last week, this past week, I'm driving home late from a meeting. And uh, I'm, I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving. I'm coming home at the corner of Proctor and Honoré. There's a new assistant living facility. It looks really beautiful from, from the outside. They've been, they've been uh, you know, building it and everything. And I've been in a lot of assistant living facilities. It's probably, you know, nothing spectacularly new. And so I'm driving by, and they've been building it, and now they're going to open it. And they must have been having an open house. I mean, there were cars parked all in the street, all down Honoré. Me and I was like, wow, just a, a crowd of them parked in the median, parked up on the grass, parking lot full. I'm not kidding you. I'm tired. I'm coming home. It's about 830. I've been at it since early morning. I came a half an inch from turning in, you know, just turning in. Like, man, I got to check that out. There must be something going on. I could care less about the building, but just because everybody else is doing it, like, I think I'll check it out. Maybe they got snacks. Maybe they got bagels. Who knows? (laughs) Maybe they'll play a hundred songs in five minutes. I don't know. (laughs) But just by virtue, like, have you ever been in a room where people start running? I'm running. I don't even know why I'm running. I'm just running. How many times does it happen that Oh, so-and-so, Mrs. Smith got upset, and now because I'm a friend of Mrs. Smith, I'm leaving too because, well, we're friends, and that's what, I mean, it's crazy. We're not on the verge of a church split, by the way. We're, we're doing all right. You see, I think it's easier in this culture. I think it's easier in this culture to get a divorce because everybody else is doing it. What do you say? Now, I know there are people in this room that have gone through a divorce. It's painful. I say this compassionate to you. People take on this guilt and they live with it for the day, all the day, and then you define yourself as a divorcee. You're not a divorcee. You're a child of God that happened to have a very hard chapter. I get that. And this is no disrespect to those who are in this room who've gone through it. It's horrible. It's horrible. I, I know that. I, I, I've walked through a lot with a lot of people. I know that. But in this culture, we can be so easily, especially in our church, so easily influenced because everybody do it. So here's what I, when I'm reading that story, I don't know about you, I'm reading this, and everybody fled. Can you imagine? Just it, you got to sometimes just park it for sometimes and just think, what did that feel like? What did that, you know, what was the sense of that? That, you know, like, 
you know, this was pre-medieval, man. They're out there swinging swords and probably homemade clubs and all that. And there's a clatter. And then there's kind of last clatter. And then there's less clatter. And then there's a clatter of three. What does that feel like? And why did these three guys... Why? How, did it, how was it that they stuck it out? See, I'm leaning in on that one. Like, how is it in the roughest of times... In the battle, right in the heat of battle, how do they stay? Watch. I think this is a key. Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 9. Then the men of Israel retreated. Everybody fled. So easy just to read that little phrase. Everybody, everybody jolted, bolted. But then, but he, Eleazar, stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and frozen to the sword. See, the picture for us here, as I hold in my hand today, you might think a book, pretty worn. It's a Bible. Okay, it's a Bible. I can pick one up at Walmart. No problem. No. We're told that it's the sword of God. That his hand froze to the purposes of God. If I allow my emotions to rule out, I have no shot at it. If I allow my mind, yeah, that thing about Bob, it really just angers me. And, blah, 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 and they would just grow and grow and grow. You see, these guys, they, they allowed their hearts and their souls, his hand, to be frozen to the word of God. And I think it's a picture for us that we must, in this generation of remote control and sprint-like mindset, we must allow the word of God to be our mindset. We must allow it to be our navigator. Our whole, and if we don't hold on to it, God, I'm really angry with that person. I'm really upset with that person. I really can't stand that person. I can't. I don't like what's going on here, and, and or whatever. But I will bear all things, endure all things, believe all things, and hope all things. Why? Because my heart is frozen to the sword. It must. Otherwise, we're lost. Tell you, we're lost. In the moment of resilience. Set the treadmill. Set the word of God. And allow it to navigate. Now many of us are sitting here and I'm like, okay. I got it, man. I'm really inspired. Okay, I can do it. But when your moment comes, there's a difference between deciding to do it and actually doing it. But as any marathon that there's a requirement to prepare there's a resilience in the midst of it and here's our final word guess what's at the end a reward a reward dude if i'm going to run 26 miles i want some kind of prize at the end do you i'm pretty plain jane when it comes to my life I eat the same breakfast 365 days a year. I do. It's a smoothie. I love my smoothie. <laughs> you can steal anything in my house. Just don't steal my, my blender. When I'm running, crazy enough, there's often times I'm like, man, I'm like exhausted. I'm tired. But I'm going to have that smoothie afterwards. Nobody in my house likes my smoothie. That's a good thing. I don't have to share. But man, I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to get home and get that smoothie. I'm telling you, it's, 
at the end of the marathon, if, listen, you're a marathon runner and you have learned to endure all things and hope and believe and bear all things, if you've learned to do that, Christ promises you a specific prize at the Bema seat of Christ. You can read it. For those that endured, there's a special prize. See, it's God's heart shouting to us saying, Run and do not give up. Do not allow for these small things to distract you. So watch what happens. Second Samuel chapter 23 verse 10. The Lord, after Eleazar and his two buddies stood their ground, brought a great victory that day. Now you look at that and think, okay, they beat the Philistines. Yep. But there was a more profound victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. What that means is they came back for the goodies. When I read the story, here's what I see is the the real victory here. Three men of honor, marathon runners. Now set a model. You see, my guess is that day when they fled, they didn't go all the way back home. They didn't leave the town. They didn't leave the country, the area. I bet they fled just to a safe place enough to to watch what was going on, how the battle was going, maybe on the fringes of the forest. Because when the battle was over, there they were. So it proves they didn't go miles and miles away. And if you're one of those guys that fled and you're looking on and you see, listen, Three guys, three guys taking on a massive army and hanging in there, not running. Deep within your soul, you must have thought, wow, that's a lot better than Alex Trebek. That's a lot better than a long stay. Wow, those men are worth, are you ready? Returning to, that was the reward. That was the reward. When I look at the men in this room who've walked with Christ, who've led for Christ, the women who've walked with Christ and led for Christ in a long term, who've stuck in there, have had their hardships, have had church conflicts, have had disagreements, had all those things, but you're still running the race. I would like to say as a 56-year-old man, thank you. Because we need the models to run to. This generation, the younger generation who are so remote and so sprint-like, they need us. They need to see us be able to disagree and yet stay on the track. Because if we're bouncing all around, what is to model with that? Now, one thing that reveals the heart of these men, this is the humility of of the marathon. I want you to put yourself in Eleazar's shoes. Man, I got to tell you, there are moments in history where I'd like to, like, man, I'd like to be right there. Like, you know, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Wouldn't you, I mean, come on, would you like to be sitting there? Wouldn't you like to have been in Washington's boat as he, as he crossed the Delaware? I mean, in those moments, here's a moment for me. Right after this battle, can you imagine what Eleazar looked like? Can you imagine what he smelt like? It smelt like death. That's what he smelt like. Dirty, sweaty, starving, 
worn to the bone. I don't mean to be gross, but probably blood and some body parts on him. This was not not playing with darts here. This is pre-medieval. Been a hard day at the office for Eleazar. And then the chumps show up for the goodies. Now you're Eleazar. What's your attitude going to be? I'll tell you, I'll just be honest with you. I got two words for you. Bad attitude. Oh, yeah, like you? Yeah, yeah, you're going to show up now to strip the dead. Uh-huh. No, you can go right back to the forest from which you came. You can go right back. You guys know we're getting all the goodies here. There's nowhere in the story where these men rejected those who ran. Why? One word. Humility. They were selfless. They had a greater cause. It wasn't about who got the trophy. They had a greater cause. How do I know that? Because you look at the men who were, had been deserted. You look at them along the years. That same hard, hard attitude. You know, Paul, remember at the end of his life, very last thing he writes to his young protege, Timothy. Watch, watch his hard attitude. Watch this. At my first defense, it was rough, man. I had to go before the, the Roman government. Paul, Paul is writing to Timothy in the last chapter of the last letter he ever wrote. At my first defense, no one, zero, nada, came to my support. What a heartbreaking word. But everyone, everyone. Paul, Timothy was, you, you mean that guy? Yeah, yeah, he's out. You mean that guy, the guy that was with you in trial? Yeah, that guy, everyone, everyone deserted me. See, if I were writing this to Timothy, then my next sentence would be, and I'm pretty ticked off at him too. I'm not sure I'm going to talk to him much more. And they're definitely not getting one of my mom's Christmas cards. <laughs> my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Oh, what a marathon runner this man was. Why? I'll tell you why. Here it is. Because... He thought higher. There was something higher. There was a mission higher. There was a finish line higher. There was a reward higher. Paul says, but the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength so that through me, Christ's message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. He understood that it wasn't about his race, his track. It was about God's track, God's mission. He said, I will fight to the end. I don't care who's ticked off and, I'm, and all this and who's retreated because we got a mission. What Christ says to us is run the race, prepare the requirements to be, a, to be ahead of the game. Have that resilience and the reward of telling the world that we're different because we're marathon runners. Let me end with this little story. When my wife and I had the home we'd live in built about 12 years ago. Uh, you know, they lay the slab, they prepare the ground and they, they grade it. Have you ever seen that where they, they got to slope the dirt? away from the house and they have this big piece of machinery and it's got kind of a blade on it and it goes down and kind of smooths out the dirt and they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth there was a man who was much older than i was he looked about 110 running the thing you could tell he'd been outside much of his life his his skin was leathery and dark from being out in the sun so much had a million wrinkles in his face 
And I stood there and watched him for the longest time. And he, he, the way you drive those trucks is you look back like this and stick in the reverse because mm, he's watching the soil. And then he, he'd pull it up and he'd mm, just back and forth all day. And his neck was craned like that. Yesterday, no kidding, I'm watching something. I got a computer like that and my neck was craned about 10 minutes. I'm like, dude, that hurts. I have to crane it the other way, you know, to kind of even it out. And I watched this guy going back and forth, and I, I went up to him afterwards, and I said, hey, i got to ask you a question. Doesn't that hurt? I mean, how do you do that? He said, yes, sir, it does. It does hurt. But it doesn't hurt anymore. It used to. This is what he said to me. I'm just listening. He said, the young guys can't take it. That when the pain comes up, and they've done this, few days, that's what he said, they quit. They quit. He said, I've done it for so long that after a while, I've gotten used to it. Here's the deal. We're running this race, not with machinery, but with human beings. We step on each other's toes. We disagree. We don't see things eye to eye all the time, okay? We know that. But if we endure all things and bear all things, there's something that happens to marathon runners. There's something that you learn to do it. Church of God, I beg you, I beg you, for the sake of this church, but the sake of the mission of the world looking in on us, let's toughen up. Let's toughen up. Let's prepare ourselves for whatever might come. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's prepare our minds and ask God for the resilience to cross the line of self, to stand in the middle of the field where there's nowhere to run. And when we feel like running, we say, no, for the sake of the mission, even though some may desert, I am fighting with humility for the marathon. This is the church that God would be proud of being with. Would you pray with me? Father, how grateful we are, God. How grateful we are for men and women who have run the race before us. If we don't look to them and learn, God, we're fools. There's no other way to say it. It's not enough to be inspired to be strengthened, to be encouraged, all those things. It's just simply not enough. These men who stood their ground that day did not just study war. They did not study just study resilience. They lived it. So God, may I pray for your church today, this church in particular. I pray, God, that you would prepare our minds to cross the enemy line of self to be willing, God, to go into a position and prepare our minds to stay and not run. Prepare us, God, to have resilience that in the middle of the battles to stand our ground for the sake of Christ, as Paul did. Not counting anything against any other person, God, but to embrace when those men came back to Eleazar that day, God, 
he, he accepted them because there was a higher reward. Father, your church, your church, your church, God. We need to be more resilient. We confess that to you. Teach us, Lord, to run not just the race, but to run a marathon. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.